This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out Talking Science, episode number 14, recorded on May 7th, 2019. folks you are listening to the podcast that takes you beyond the classroom and into the trenches of science i'm dr abby abdallah and i'm here with dr fawner how are you today you you've had a long day haven't you pretty long day assessment was a grueling and marathon-like experience but uh it's over and now i get to do some fun podcasting with you now you say an assessment wasn't fun I mean, I don't know if I use the word fun. At least we got fed, so I'm not completely miserable. I uh, uh, hear you are also caffeinated all day. Oh, uh, partially. About three and a half cups of coffee. Oh, so. well, that's good, that's good. Well, I enjoyed uh, uh, you and uh, everybody else uh, enjoying yourselves at Festivus from the comforts of my couch. Well, I mean, <laughs> some of us had a long day and some of us had a, uh, you know, maybe you had a long day on the couch, but I would probably trade places with you pretty readily. <laughs> no, I, I had I had a small emergency today. So, you know, uh, we're taking a group of students to Greece, mm-hmm. right, on tour, uh, performing arts. Uh, they're going to sing and play music and perform, and it's very exciting. And Let me guess, some student forgot to renew his or her passport. No, 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 not that kind of emergency. It was... Uh, more of a, uh, uh, I, I packed my camera gear to mm-hmm. take with me, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, part of my job is to also record some of the performances. Yeah. And I discovered that the uh, batteries I have for my pack have, like, you know, they're old, I guess. They're not holding a charge. So That's uh, pretty, it's yeah, severe, that's a problem, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I could not record for more than three minutes at a time, and <laughs> they would die. So I actually had to find a camera store in Meadville, which is like, what, uh, 40 minutes away or so. And uh, thankfully, he had a, a couple batteries. And I was like, well, put them aside. I'm coming to get them. I think I would still probably trade places with you. Over, over assessment? I think so. <laughs> I would rather go to the ends of the earth looking for camera batteries than uh, do what I did today. But it's fine. It was for a good cause. It's all said and done. What and <laughs> Well, uh, I, I plead the fifth. But... Um, I can tie a bow on that, one of my last acts as chair of bio at Teal College, and now I can enjoy my summer before we go and, you know. Do other things. Yeah. So this is our last episode being recorded at Teal's campus. Yes, it is. We will have to find a uh, different recording place at the new job, but uh, we'll figure that out. But what are we, what are we uh, talking about today? So, so today we're going to talk about the war on science, and we're going to actually define what is the war on science, what are like the political and even societal uh, ramifications of even using, economic, yeah. exactly, of using that phrase. One thing that I wanted to bring up to you very quickly, did you hear about that simulation that uh, 
what is it? The National Near Earth Object Preparedness Strategy and Action Plan. This well, you know, it's NASA. been in the news recently. NASA wants everybody to pay attention that, hey, we may be hit by a, an asteroid, meteorite, mm-hmm. something like that, right? They did a simulation, right? And they did the simulation at the 2019 Planetary Defense Conference in College Park, Maryland, which to me, I would love to go to that conference. I need to find a way there because it sounds highly entertaining and interesting. It sounds very like defense contractory. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. But they basically played out what would happen if a giant meteorite crashed into Earth in 2027. And I guess they gave scientists, you know, like a 10-year plan of, okay, how are we going to stop this thing, deflect it, what have you. And I guess the simulation team, you know, through this test, managed to deflect some of this 260-meter asteroid, but a small part of it that was 60 meters in size in this simulation broke off, went over Manhattan, hit, and devastated New York City. And That's so the, the simulation. Uh, well, of course. Uh, New York City is still standing. <laughs> but uh, all it took was, and again, I just love this stuff because I'm a fan of this, you know, like Armageddon and the Deep Impact movies from 20, 25 years ago. And I just am so fascinated by what are the actual contingency plans for, because they said there's a very, very high uh, improbability that we're going to be hit by anything, at least in the next hundred years. Well, I mean, we're bombarded with things daily. Constantly, yes. And a lot of people don't think of that or don't know that. But we're bombarded daily with stuff. It's just not big enough to cause significant it, damage. Well, right? it burns up in the atmosphere, or if it makes its way down to the ground, it's, right. you know, d- nothing. You know, the size of, you know, softballs even. Something very, very tiny. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because wasn't it in the news about a month ago, maybe, or something like that, that uh, Japan uh, shoots, was it a copper bomb at a sort of like an asteroid. I think I remember reading that and hearing about that, yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, Japanese, uh, sort of like their equivalent of NASA or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, deployed uh, a, a, a bomb uh, towards an asteroid. I think the asteroid is Ryugu, R-Y-U-G-U. Okay. And uh, they were trying to create an artificial crater, I think, uh-huh. and uh, it's it's unclear uh, how it went, but they did have a camera on board, which was interesting. You could actually to like, record see this. all of this, uh, 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 what they call SCI, or small carry-on impactor. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, that's part of the, you know, sort of, I guess, preparedness. That's awesome. But, you know, before we get into the deep weeds on this, right, uh, what do we have? We have a birthday today. What we is do. it? Uh, May 7th, 1939, and today is the birthday of Sidney Altman. And who is Sidney Altman? Uh, Sidney Altman is a uh, dual national Canadian-American molecular biologist who uh, uh, is a professor at Yale University. And the reason we're talking about him is because in 1989, he shared the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. Mm-hmm with uh, Thomas, what is that, Sec, Czech, something like this, C-E-C-K-C-H-E-H. I would say Czech, but yeah. Uh, for their work on the catalytic properties of RNA. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, for our listeners out there, you know, RNA is sort of the cousin molecule of DNA. Yep. Although we believe it's the precursor of DNA. Yes. Possibly. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, one thing that it does is effectively uh, uh, has the ability in, in some ancient organisms for self-replication, mm -hmm. right? But uh, has catalytic and sort of enzymatic uh, components. A lot of RNA molecules are enzymes that can uh, help, you know, in the uh, catalytic or, you know, enzymatic properties, mm -hmm. blah, 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 right? But... Um, yeah, so he, uh, uh, you know, he, he worked at Harvard University for a while studying DNA endonucleases, uh, pretty much studying T4 DNA, or that's the bacteriophage yes. uh, DNA, right? Uh, then he uh, worked in Cambridge, England for a while, and uh, eventually uh, became an assistant professor at Yale University in 1971, and he's been there since. He rose up the ranks there, right? Oh, he did, yeah. He was chair of a department, et cetera, uh, yada, yada. But uh, pretty much uh, the work he did that earned him a Nobel Prize was looking at ribozyme activity of, mm -hmm. of RNAs, right? And um, uh, these are uh, uh, enzymes or RNA molecules that are uh, effectively... Uh, you know, enzymes, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we didn't think that RNAs could be enzymes. Uh, or maybe they did think before that, but, you know, he, they did prove that. Yeah. And um, he got the Nobel Prize for that. And uh, uh, it's been shown that these exist in both eukaryotic and prokaryotic organisms. So animals, plants, and, you know, bacteria, archaea, fungi, etc. So some pretty interesting and integral concepts that were um, proven and demonstrated by Dr. Altman. Oh yeah, I would say so. I would say so. That's great. Um, so is he is he one of the first? Is he the first one we do that is not dead? I think he's. I mean, he's currently alive. Yeah, he's right? currently alive. Yeah. Uh, everybody else, unfortunately, that we've covered has uh, passed yeah, on, I passed away. So. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, if Dr. Altman gets wind or of our podcast, of his podcast <laughs> we're very huge fans and i will send him a link there you go if you're ever bored and you want to come on and be interviewed uh we have the setup where we can do a phone interview with you Absolutely. we'd be we'd be more than honored we'd be thrilled that's our cheap plug for the day <laughs> all right war on science let's get back to it so uh what do you think uh or, or what do we scientists think is is the war on science so and this is something that we're going to be discussing and coming back back to few times throughout the episode because I feel like the war on science, depending on how it is used and the agenda behind those individuals who use the phrase war on science, uh, it can have different meanings. But how I kind of put it together in my head is that the war on science kind of constitutes political and societal stances that directly oppose scientific evidence and data. For example, uh, and especially in you know the past few years, even the past decade or two, we've seen the what I think is the horrendous rise in the anti-vaccination movement, and we're seeing the direct effects of that across the country and even a little bit closer to home for me down in Pittsburgh with oh, in yeah, the past week or uh, two. Pit, uh, Pennsylvania's uh, first few cases. Yep, and so with measles now erupting everywhere mm -hmm. and hitting very close to home. Now, j just on a side note here, do you know when your last 
MMR on it. Vaccine. I was just thinking about this a few days ago, and I'm thinking, I think they put a date on the news. I am thinking mine might not be either current or effective. And well, I, I mean, some, depending on how many doses you've received, right, you mm -hmm. may have lifetime immunity. If you've ever had the measles, you have lifetime immunity. Mm -hmm. If you've had the MMR vaccines, measles, mumps, rubella, mm -hmm. uh, within the first shot or after, with, without a booster, uh, so just one vaccine, uh, you're protected over 90%. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I remember numbers correctly, 92% or so. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit higher than that. Uh, if you get a booster, your uh, protection rates go up to 98%. Mm -hmm. And um, But if you went to college, which you did, right? I had to have received that. Well, I, I mean, do all universities and colleges have that requirement? I, I, don't I remember distinctly going to make sure my vaccinations were up to date a few months before I began at uh, Gannon University so in that 2005. So that would have been, yeah, 10-15 years ago. Now that's you, the right? thing, I don't have the paperwork because unfortunately, you know, my mother was in charge of that. She passed a few years ago and so all of the paperwork that's important to me is uh, but you, I mean, you don't somewhere. need the paperwork, right? Yeah. So, so be, before we get back to our topic, right? If you are listening, and uh, uh, you are an adult, uh, there are two ways to go about this. Mm -hmm. You can go to your doctor and ask to uh, get a titer of your antibodies. Mm -hmm. What that means is that they will check in your uh, plasma, in your blood, what levels of antibodies do you have against. Um, Measles. So that's one way of doing mm -hmm. it. And if your titers are, are high, then you don't need the booster. Uh, the other way of doing it is to just uh, go ahead and get the booster. There's no harm in getting the, the vaccine is safe. I mean, it, is, no it a pain in, it. is it a pain in the butt? Okay, it takes time out of the day, but especially well, with how rampant. Yeah. yeah, with how rampant this is becoming and it's now officially become a public health concern oh, even is. more it so is. than it has been before. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking, you know, uh, we were we were relatively safe out here from all the outbreaks that have been happening mostly, uh, what, uh, New York City, right? Brooklyn with the Hasidic Jew population yep. and out in Texas, Colorado, California, Oregon. And, um, but no, it's in Pittsburgh now. It's in Western PA. It's in our backyard. Uh, it's a matter of time before it gets to busy areas like airports and things like that. Well, and I mean, one of the cases was at the Pittsburgh International Airport was that last week, possibly a few yeah. weeks ago? And when I saw that news report, that horrified me. That's scary. Oh, yeah. And the thing about the, the, the virus, it, it lingers about for a few uh, hours, if not days, and then uh, highly infectious as well, yeah. right? So anywhere those people went who came into contact with that, it's, you know, it just spreads like wildfire. Yeah. I know I had to get a booster to go to South Africa, mm. uh, what, three years ago, but, you know, I had had it from college and all that, but... Yeah, some, if you are listening, you might want to check into that. Uh, it's a matter of time before I think this becomes a national uh, pandemic, in my opinion, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to scare people, but we're not there yet. But No, I don't think this is alarmist in any way. But no, I, I think it's going to get out there, man. It's going to become a problem nationwide. And this is, again, kind of relating it back to this whole war on science mm -hmm. issue, is the idea that it's taken a few years, it's taken a few decades, but now we are directly seeing the true price of, I'm sorry, what I would say is ignorance and miseducation um, when it comes to scientific fact and uh, valid scientific data. And yeah, so that, yeah, again, 
thinking about this war on science, um, this, again, economical, political, and societal kind of phrase and concept where groups of people and individuals uh, directly oppose scientific evidence and data. We talked about with anti-vaccination, climate change, uh, ignoring scientific data to promote political agendas. That's become a huge concern in the past, what, two, three years now? Well, that's become also the uh, uh, major platform of one of our uh, major political parties in the country. Exactly. And that brings us into the next question, right? Why does this war on science exist? And it comes down to, at least in my mind, um, willful ignorance, uh, miseducation, general paranoia, distrust in scientists, governments, etc., and these different politicians and other individuals and different groups using this as a way to further their own agendas. And Which, so I mean, is it, is it furthering an agenda, really, or just, or is that agenda simply staying in power? Getting, I mean, getting rich. Well, money, greed, right. uh, power, influence, all of those factors, you know, these individuals who have attained these seats of power or positions of wealth and power, do you think they want to give those up? No, no. of course not. Uh, do you think they not. want their supporters to abandon them? Let's say in the people who believe and trust in them to abandon them if they fall on the right side of science? No, they're not going to do that. So even if they know that the data that they are believing in or that the data that they trust is actually are actually false, uh, it, it, it's dangerous. Um, I, I don't think the war on science phrase is alarmist in any way. And part of it is miseducation. So a, a lack of education and this whole distrust in scientists and government. So for example, uh, a few years ago, residents in Portland, Oregon, blocked a plan to add fluoride to the water because, and again, not verbatim, but this was a quote, that they didn't want any chemicals added to their water, maybe because they didn't want any possible negative uh, side effects in terms of health, right? You know, but I, I, lo I love people that say, oh, I don't want chemicals in this or blah, chemicals blah, blah. Chemicals are in... I mean, like, I mean, water is a chemical. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a molecule. It's just insane. Well, the chemicals that, you know, uh, are produced inside of your body anytime you go and step out into the sun for more than a few minutes, uh, standing next to a microwave, eating fried food. I mean, for example, heating up uh, meat and cooking meat produces chemicals of course that, that you know, have been, linked, right. have been linked to cancer. cancer. I mean, yeah. literally anything, right? Yeah, yeah. And what I love is all it takes is a little bit of research and a little bit of education to realize, you know, anything in outrageous concentrations can be harmful for human health. But at very weak concentrations, such as those concentrations added to drinking water, fluoride helps with hardening the uh, tooth enamel and actually helps to prevent significant tooth decay. The other thing is, when these residents were prompted to respond to that, saying, okay, here's the science behind why weak concentrations of fluoride aren't bad for you, their response or the response of most individuals was, we don't believe you. So it, we've come to a point, and it's almost like a tipping point in society, where even if you present facts and data to these I would call them almost extremist groups uh, in terms of not trusting science and the conclusions drawn by science. We've come to the point where even if they are confronted with data, they don't believe you. 
Yeah. And it's hard yeah. to combat that. It's hard it to combat paranoia yeah. and willful neglect of, I mean, you and I were both raised, you know, what, in, in the scientific community, basically, since we were in school. I yeah. mean, that's why we fell in love with it. That's why we do what we do. And at least when I was growing up, I don't remember this distrust or this almost blatant disregard for science uh, in my lifetime. It's definitely increased drastically in the past, you know, decade to two decades. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember like sort of being exposed to sort of this anti-science stuff, mm -hmm. maybe in my early undergraduate years, mm -hmm. right? So 2000 and, you know, two, three, four, something like that, mm -hmm. where, where in my mind it started sort of like creeping into the uh, mainstream and you're thinking like, like what the heck are these people thinking, right? And at the time, uh, I remember also uh, seeing or thinking that, you know, people thought they were just fringe elements of society that um, there's nothing to worry about here, mm -hmm. right? They're just a bunch of loons or a bunch of crazies, right? Yeah. And, uh, but it has picked up, man, right? Yeah. And again, that's why it's particularly alarming because the current, and here we're going to go into a little bit of politics, but I'm not here to kind of assess or judge anybody on political leanings. I'm simply here to, and what we're both here to do, is to discuss what are the facts, right? What has happened with this administration over the past few years in terms of hurting the progress of science. And the leadership of the interior, uh, in the past few years, we've seen different scientific advisory committees disbanded. We've seen attempts to alter the actual scientific content of reports that mention climate change. Uh, I'm not sure if this is still current or not, but is it, isn't it very hard currently to access data on climate change from the EPA's website? Uh, it, I mean, it's more difficult than it used to be, yes. but I mean, anybody, I, I, I mean, I don't want to say anybody, but almost most people can get information through the Freedom of Information Act, yes. right? But okay, so it's been made, it's been made more difficult to obtain information, even if one were to seek information okay. on the effects of climate change. Now, due to political leanings, but it's becoming like more difficult. There's also like a media cycle too, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, reports are being sort of dumped uh, on weekends or holidays where uh, nobody's paying attention mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And think about uh, who's currently in charge of the EPA. Is that Wheeler? Andrew Wheeler, right? Uh, he got confirmed, didn't he? Because was, was there a new guy that they're trying to push through? Uh, he is, serves as the 15th administrator of the U.S. EPA. Uh, he was deputy from April to July 2018 okay. and served as acting administrator from July 2018 to February 19. Um, so they appointed someone, or is it him that got appointed in February 19? He was confirmed in February 28, 2019. Okay. So, so he's still in He's still office. there. And as far as I can see, now, if you think about somebody in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency, somebody who's going to judge and... Somebody it should be a scientist. Should, it should be a scientist, right? Or, or someone at the very least who's got degrees in, I don't know, environmental health and safety or something like that. Exactly. And do you know what degree um, Andrew Wheeler has? Yeah. Magic. It's <laughs> a good one. What, is he a lawyer? He has an MBA. He, an uh, MBA, uh, yep. of course. A, a business Master degree. of Business Administration right. from George Mason University. And he what is was an American MBA? attorney. 
Uh, so he ha he does have a JD then. You said he's an attorney. And yes, he is an attorney. Yes. Okay. Where is his Juris Doctor from? Not that I mind. Uh, Washington University in St. Louis. Well, that's a good school. It is, but again, it comes back to the point of we have people in charge of these organizations. I'm sure Andrew Wheeler would be great at some things, but should he be in charge of the EPA that's going to set these different standards and guidelines and regulations? No, he should not. I mean, yeah, I personally think it should be a scientist in terms of an EPA, right? But, you know, uh, just to play the devil's advocate on the other side, one might argue that someone with a JD or an MBA would make a good administrator. Oh, I, th blah, I, blah, I, would, I, would, I would agree with that. Right, yes. or, or they would say, oh, he's just a face of the, uh, uh, of the administration, right? And that working for him are thousands and thousands of scientists and mm -hmm. people that do do the science, except that, we know that that's not what's happening. We know that yeah. he's burying reports, that he's uh, loosening regulation, et cetera, so on and so forth. And right? it ties back to, I mean, he's uh, ended research projects on the health effects of mountaintop removal of coal mining yeah. and yeah. safety inspections of offshore drilling right. and right. with Good. little to no Good. explanations. Of course not. And, you know, uh, the that sort of, you know, uh, political party is good with uh, the war of words as mm -hmm. well, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, f most often than not, they'll just say, oh, these are business-friendly regulations, right? Yeah, like, well. oh, who wants to be against business, right? Who wants to be against, oh, capitalistic or free-flowing, free-market economy, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, isn't he also, um, I think it's Wheeler, isn't he a former coal lobbyist as well? So, I mean, he has direct ties and pretty egregious and one might even say biased ties towards, you know, preserving fossil fuel industries and, you know, um, big coal business oh, yeah, at the expense yeah, of regulations yeah, yeah, that yeah. might stave off climate change, mm -hmm. which, again, kind of scary. I know a lot of people, I mean, my dad works at a coke plant and, you know, a lot of good guys work there and I understand the need for those jobs. But at the same time, um, we have a president who has tweeted that he doesn't believe in reports by government scientists that have documented significant and catastrophic impacts of climate change. Well, yeah, it's a Chinese hoax. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. Remember that? After everything that's come about in the yeah, past yeah. few years, I actually forgot about that. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for per reminding. Perpetrated by, it's a, it's a Chinese hoax uh, yeah. created to uh, slow down our economy, right? And even, I believe, uh, they've reported uh, that the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, and this is an organization that is responsible for responding to disasters that are becoming basically the new norm in a world that's being impacted by climate change, uh, FEMA has deleted the words climate change from its primary strategic plan. So what do they call it? Uh, that's a good question. I'm actually not sure. Um, all I know and from what I've researched and looked up is that uh, climate science is now being censored from major government websites. And again, thinking about burying scientific data and covering up these different reports that might impact big businesses across the country hey, that's, it's something that I never think thought I would see in my lifetime, but maybe I'm just naive. Let's see. Uh, I mean, this is interesting, right? Uh, do you know Google Trends? 
Uh, I've heard of it, but I've never really utilized it, no. Yeah, so I've got it open, right? Like, mm -hmm. you can uh, search certain terms. We'll do this for, like, vaccine and flat earth when we get there. Okay. Uh, but if you Google climate change denial, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it just uh, it, it shows you by region oh, wow. of the country on, like, which state sort of, like, looks it up the most. Yeah. And then it sort of sh shows you over time what the numbers are. So uh, let's see what it went up from, say, uh, what is that on the y-axis scale? Interest over time. Uh, we'll have to know. We'll, we'll have to. Find yeah, I don't know what the units like are on that. Or like yeah. Click or whatever. But since 2004 to 2018, so 14 years, it uh, went from like, what, 25 to 100 there or something like that, right? Yeah. I wonder if we'll, I'll, I'll get what those numbers mean, but... Uh, Increases uh, what 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 is that twenty five to a hundred uh, fourfold? Yeah, no, four, no that's well, no fourfold would be oh yeah yeah twenty five to fifty then mm -hmm. to a hundred that's twofold no so um well by a factor of four twenty five to a hundred yeah. it's gone up yeah, yeah. that's insane but it it still kind of all comes down to the same idea of when you say the term war on science um, I don't think those words are used lightly in the sense that there is this active participation by multiple groups to covering up. I mean, it's almost like, like a conspiracy style uh, cover up of scientific data in order to promote um, various agendas. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens with the possible next administration and what's gonna happen, you know, even 10, 20 years from now in regards to how people trust, you know, different scientific concepts. Well, I think there will come a point where we do not actually have a choice, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think right now uh, we're still sort of in the alarming phase of uh, vaccine denials and climate change denials and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We haven't gone to the point, I think. I mean, we are on the verge of uh, uh, the world sort of, you know, species, geography, whatever, like dramatically changing. It is changing, mm -hmm. right? But we as a country, I think, particularly in the United States, even though we're, we're seeing the effects of climate change daily, mm -hmm. we're still economically okay, mm -hmm. I think. We're not being hit dramatically by the effects of climate change. Yeah. And I think there will come a point where we don't really have a choice but to deal with the effects of climate change. The question is, Will it be too late? Well, a lot of people are thinking, is it already too late? Right, exactly. So, you know, there, there will come a point where it will cost us money to ignore it. It is costing us money now, but that's not costing us enough on, you know, an economy that's trillions of dollars in size. It's not costing enough for us to say, oh, crap, we need to really do something about this, right? And it's the same thing, you know, in terms of looking at the opposition towards climate change and the opposition against vaccinations, right? Uh, you have to be unbiased and you have to look and critically evaluate uh, the data that are generated by these scientific reports. And I don't know if it's too much time, too much effort, lack of research, lack of critical thinking, but a lot of individuals are just simply uh, not well informed when it comes to uh, discussing and even 
um, trying to describe where these uh, anti-science movements and ideas come from. Right. Uh, case in point, anti-vaccination. We've talked about this, right? And well, be before I forget the point, you know, we've seen even though, and you know, maybe we'll talk about that documentary, uh, Round Earth, is it? Uh, behind the Curve. Behind the Curve, mm -hmm. Behind the Curve. Uh, uh, it's on Netflix. Anybody wants to see it, it's eye-opening. Fascinating, yeah. Okay, fascinating <laughs> indeed. Uh, I don't get to use that uh, word non-sarcastically that often. That's okay. I stole <laughs> it from you. But this, uh, again, highly recommended, and it really sheds a light on, you know, both sides of the shape of the earth debate, I right. guess you could call it, the round yeah, earthers yeah. versus but, but the... Go ahead. The, the, the point I was driving at is that sometimes it's not necessarily misinformed. It's cherry picking the information you want to look at, yeah. right? And uh, it, with, with a lot, it turns out, with a lot of these people, you know, there are some who are misinformed, but with a lot of them, the, the right information is out there, mm -hmm. right? They just choose to ignore it. They don't believe it. They think it's an outright lie, right? So it's cherry picking of what information you believe. Will support your conclusion and argument. Right. And then just having yeah. that as confirmation kind of your bias. Exactly. Confirmation bias. And that's the that, that's problem, right? Uh, you know, we're guilty of that sometimes, right? Everybody's guilty of that. But we're trained as scientists to just look at the data and have conclusions based Draw off from of that, the right? data rather than the other way around have a final idea in mind of what i think uh, i want my conclusion to be and then find the data for that you're that, working backwards and that's, that's not problem. the scientific method right. that's not critical thinking that's a huge kind of almost glaring gap in logic right yeah and, and, and flat earthers are are that second part right there are that the latter group of individuals they they there's they believe the earth is flat and they're 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 out there to prove it rather than look at the data and, oh, is it flat, is it round, right? And not to spoil anything for this documentary, but there are several humorous instances oh, where data <laughs> collection to prove their theory of a flat Earth, uh, I'll just it say it goes awry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about kind of anti-vaccination, right, and this controversy that really came to the forefront, uh, was it the early 2000s with Andrew Wakefield? Okay, Wakefield, yeah. and it was similar to what we were talking about, confirmation bias. He had these agendas, and he was getting funded to prove the theory and idea that there was a link between ASD, autism spectrum disorder, and the MMR vaccine. Right. And we've talked about this before, but you know, sample sizes were low. The experiment was very, very shoddily done, and what has come about from that is this just incredible public health concern where we now have these anti-vaxxers who are determined and dead set on believing if you vaccinate your children, uh, there's a chance that um, your children could develop autism over their, you know, over the next few years. And reports have come out in the years since that have refuted those claims and that have refuted that bad science. But still, these groups are out there. And at least for me, and I don't know about you, it seems like the anti-vaxxers are sometimes louder than the um, vaxxers. Yeah. The vaxxers, yeah, I guess I you could say. You. I agree with you. And you know, part part of the problem, I think, is that you have parents with kids who have autism that 
cannot get answers from medical professionals mm -hmm. as to why does my kid have autism and what can I do to, and I'm going to put this in quotation marks, to cure my kid, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than uh, sort of looking at, you know, how can we, you know, live a very fulfilling life, right? Mm -hmm. So I, th I think part of the problem is that now, I mean, we know it's multifactorial, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't know the root causes of autism, the true root causes of autism. You can't point to that one can be thing scary. and say that's it. Exactly. Yeah, that can be very scary. And you have no answers. You don't know why your kid has that or your kid is like that or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing negative there, right? You, I mean, w w what you have here is effectively parents who say, oh, I don't want to vaccinate my kids because they might get autism. But then you're saying... I'd rather have a kid come down with measles and die and not have an autistic kid. And right? You know, that, that's really sad. It, and it is. It's really, it's hard to sympathize with individuals who willfully ignore science and will promote this anti-vaccination, um, I'll call it a conspiracy. And then these disastrous things occur and again, it makes me angry. And my fiance and I sit there and watch the news every morning now. You know, WPXI down in Pittsburgh will say another suspected case of measles. And it makes me afraid in the next few years. What if I have a kid? And, uh, and, and you cannot get an MMR before you're 12 to 15 months of age. Exactly. That's the recommended current recommended immunology guideline for. If I was a parent, I'd be terrified right now. For the I first would, 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. I would be yeah, utterly yeah. terrified, afraid to take yeah. my kid anywhere. Yeah, um, I mean, unless. Obviously, if the mother is protected and mm -hmm. has antibodies against MMR, mm -hmm. or uh, not against MMR, against measles, then those antibodies will cross the placenta, if they are IgG antibodies, right? They'll cross the placenta, protect the child, or IgA through breast milk. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, that's not full protection. That immunity wanes over time. And you know, part of the reason, actually, recommendation schedules are much later rather than much earlier is a combined, uh, oh, is the immune system ready to actually respond to the vaccine? And B, uh, maternal antibodies inside mm -hmm. the, uh, or within the child actually interfere with the vaccine. So yeah. it just ends up being not effective. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I, I see your point, man. I don't know how, uh, how uh, parents take their kids uh, out in public, particularly in areas that are now uh, endemic for measles. Yeah. I know. I mean, there are places with like over, over, you know, hundreds of cases, right? And I think they, it might have been on the news or some kind of graphic that I saw online in the past two to three weeks, but it showed how these few different cases, maybe even isolated cases, that if it becomes an epidemic, you know, it's like watching an animation or a video where across a region, you know, five isolated dots or cases eventually begin to multiply, you right. get the contraction of these diseases, right. and then the entire screen is like somebody dumped red paint on it. Well, it's, ju it's just like measles, uh, measles spots, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, it's been suspected, and it's actually been, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's been proven at this point, right, that um, the Russian government has had a role in sowing discord yeah. in terms of promoting... Um, I think memes, 
uh, internet bots. bots. Yeah, yeah I, I love that word bots, by the way. But, you know, promoting these bots, these internet uh, web robots that are software applications that basically run kind of automated tasks over the internet, kind of very basic, Pretending simple Pretending to tasks. be uh, an actual person posting on social media. Exactly. Yeah, you know, that came out in, in, in the investigation with the tampering of the elections, mm -hmm. right? Uh, where it turns out that the uh, uh, Russians and their, you know, whatever, their proxies uh, not only interfered with the uh, 2016 election in terms of, uh, you know, doing this whole, like, trolling online, right? They mm -hmm. also uh, looked for any uh, cause or issue that might be a wedge in American society yeah. and trolled that as well. As, and one of those was, uh, do vaccines cause autism? And the thing is, with this study that I found that was very, I mean, it was published in the American Journal of Public Health, and it was entitled, Weaponized Health Communication, Twitter Bots and Russian Trolls Amplify the Vaccine Debate. I believe, based on what I read from this study, that these different Twitter bots and trolls were fueling and amplifying both sides of the vaccine debate. They were getting both sides heated, you know, argumentatively. And yeah, it, w it wasn't just about disseminating anti-vaccine messages. It, it was, was also on the opposite side. Promoting discord as well, right? So yeah, absolutely. And that's where it is. It's a key word. They, they were working both sides to just get mm -hmm. people effectively just to argue with each other. Promoting discord, um, you know, these fake accounts that were masquerading as legitimate users. Uh, what are they doing here? You said discord, right? When there's discord in a population, what happens? There's a lack of consensus, a lack of agreement, a lack right. of cordial and even friendly yeah. debate and you know differences of opinion. And once that happens, and this is gonna be leading us into our final kind of topic here in terms of how do we debate with people who basically don't believe in science. Um, once you increase the distance between people on one side and people on the other in terms of differences of opinion, it's very hard to come back together. Right. And that's, that's been that. proven not only by scientific data and um, articles, as we just talked about here in terms of the Russian trolls and anti-vaccination and vaccination messages, but that was a big topic of that Flat Earth documentary at the very end, talking about is it the fact that they are quote-unquote wrong, or is it about the fact that we aren't communicating uh, from one side to the next effectively? Yeah, well, I mean, we're doing our best, right, with mm -hmm. the podcast. That's that's the Trying, reason the yeah. podcast sort of came into creation. Right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, part of the Russian tactic, whether it's, you know, this vaccine stuff or the elections, is to simply uh, sow discord, right, and erode public consensus on topics, right? Mm -hmm. And when you start distrusting uh, officials, that eventually, uh, you know, it may start small, but it'll eventually balloon into distrusting your governments, distrusting your systems, uh, distrusting your uh, 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 system of government. It's right? basically believing that anything you hear that maybe doesn't match your opinion, well, obviously, it's a lie. Um, whether, well, whether you call it well, fake yeah. news, uh, you know, you can't believe anyone, and then... No, no obstruction, no collusion. Exactly. And, you know, the absence of something obviously means that, you know, something is false or something is a lie. It's just... What, what, what is that quote, the... 
absence of what what was it? Absence of data. It's not data. Absence of information is not. Oh, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Ah, is not the evidence of absence. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one. I love that quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I could barely remember it, but I do love that quote when I hear it. Uh, and, and again, it, it all comes down to kind of fueling differences in opinion, um, this rise in, you know, fake news, which is going to go down as one of the worst and most, I think, malignant phrases that, you know, has ever been invented in recent times. Uh, think about, we're really going off the deep end here, but think about how social media is now fueling this public discord and the fact that now everybody has a voice. And you can be terribly misinformed. And, and still have a platform. And still have a platform. All it takes, if you have you know 20 users who follow you and you tweet out, oh, um, uh, don't vaccinate your kids because I believe that the vaccination caused my son to develop autism. Well, you might have just converted 20 of those people and then it keeps on Yeah, yeah, no, there's no, I mean, <laughs> look at us as an example, right? Uh, we have a venue. We do. Right? That venue is the classroom. Yeah. That venue is this podcast. Mm-hmm. There's no control over it. No. I mean, people listen to us because they, they, they like to be informed. They like what we talk about, right? We hope. Yes. But we hope, right? But, I mean, and, you know, we're both uh, PhD scientists, so, we, so we, we, we stick to facts. Yeah. But, I mean, this is just a perfect example. We are a perfect example of how... In today's world, anybody with a few hundred dollars of uh, software and, and hardware can uh, produce content that goes on the World Wide Web. I guess that's another thing that some might accuse us of, and I want to run this by you in terms of some people, and especially academics, um, would accuse people who espouse these I won't even say opinions, who espouse these scientific facts. They might accuse us as being part of the intellectual elite yeah, and how you yeah. should be distrustful of the elite. You hear about the media elite and the Hollywood yeah, elite yeah. and know, all I, this I, stuff. I love, that. I love that term, the uh, intellectual elite. It's, it's, it's interesting to me, right? Well, it's also a tad bit insulting depending on where you're coming from because... Well, I mean, what's your definition of elite, right? Exactly. When I, yeah, I mean, when I when I hear the word elite, I don't think of us. I mean, I don't know about you, but after this, I'm going on my yacht and I'm going you know, <laughs> to take it down, take it out into the lake, or, and by yacht, I mean my uh, inflatable kayak. <laughs> but um, you know, thinking about elite in that term, it's um, disingenuously used because you know I'm the son of a blue collar worker, and you know my dad worked his ass off to give me a quality education hopefully we're allowed to say that on the podcast the ass word but you know i received a good education what what, what work his ass off is that what you're thinking we, you, you can't say yeah i didn't know if we had to bleep that or not if you want me to bleep it i haven't actually tried bleeping things out but if you want me to bleep that it, might I be can. funny just to give just the to bleep, audience just to bleep that out. yeah to, to oh, give I the mean, audience uh, you know a mystery as to what i said but but i don't think it's going to be a mystery i doubt it but again like i said there's no regulation here man <laughs> we can really do whatever we want exactly but you know i think about this word intellectual elite and i don't consider myself that i consider myself kind of uh, a seeker of truth that sounds terribly cliche. Um, I, you know, I, I love to learn things, and what I learn based on my job 
I have to disseminate and instruct to my students and really anybody, right? Anybody who wants an informed opinion and informed facts. And I, but I mean, with, with your education, though, I mean, just mm -hmm. to play the devil's advocate here, because I love doing this. Mm -hmm. having, having had a PhD, mm -hmm. does that not educationally and intellectually put you in a, an elite group of learners? I, I hate the term, man, and I'll yeah. fight against it every day. I think this comes back to, again, people see the but word that's not elite. What they, but that's not what they mean when mm -hmm. they use that sort of in a derogatory term. That's it not what means they mean. distrust. It means, yeah. um, oh, that person thinks that they're better than me. Yeah, right? yeah they're it, it ivory comes down, towers. Exactly. It comes down to this almost like inferiority. And any of our students who have ever taken us in, uh, for courses, I doubt many would, if you ask them, oh, what do you think about Dr. Foner or Dr. A? N not many of them would say, hardly any of them would state, oh, um, they think they're a lot better oh, than me. Oh, he's such an elitist. Yeah, yeah they yeah. think that, uh, that I'm, you know, uh, pond scum, basically, <laughs> and that they are jetting around in their you know, BMWs later. Um, that's not what I consider intellectual elite. Are we more educated simply based on the fact that we only went to school for... 20 years, I mean, right, right. when because I tell... We, because we like self-punishment. Yeah, self-punishment. <laughs> well, I am Catholic, but, uh, you, you know... You know, when I was saying self-punishment, I was thinking of Opus Day. There you go. You know, it's funny you said that. Uh, but there's a reason why I put myself through that hardship, why we both put ourselves through that hardship. Whenever I tell people how, how long I went to school for, you know, most of them will say, how the hell did you do it? And it's because I wanted to learn. It's because I wanted to continue seeking it's for education. That, uh, lower than average income. Well, I mean, <laughs> there are perks. I'm not saying there aren't. But it still, it, does it give us maybe certain advantages and allow us to, you know, critically analyze and uh, discuss certain issues? I mean, that's pretty much the only advantage, right? I mean, yeah. when, it, when it comes to life from a biological perspective, there's no advantage. Yeah, no. No, there's no advantage. Anybody with a degree can breed as equally as anybody without a degree, you know, uh, given all confounding factors put aside. Of course. Right? From a biological perspective, there's no, there's no advantage here, right? Like yeah. there's no, absolutely none in terms of evolutionary advantage, right? Um, and you know, that kind of does lead us, I think, very nicely into the final debate point and topic in that is it accurate and fair to use the phrase war on science and what i mean by that is are we as the intellectual elite are we using this phrase from our stance in a way to further fuel and propagate the divide between people on one side and the intellectual elites on the other where by using that little bit of an inflammatory phrase war on science are we using that to further our own agendas and make that distance between one side and the other even greater? I, yeah, I, I don't know if I like the word war, right? Yeah, I would agree. I don't like the word war, and I, I don't necessarily think it's a war on science. I think it's a, if we are to use the word war, I, it's a war on truth. Yeah. Right? I don't mm -hmm. think it's necessarily science. It's, it's just a war on true things, man, right? We've got, I mean, we've got politicians going out there saying one thing two hours later, and they're like, oh, no, I didn't say that. Or you misunderstood what I said. Mm -hmm. Or you took my words and you twisted them. 
or you know X Y Z whatever it is, right? I mm-hmm. think we live in a society today mm-hmm. where facts don't matter much. Yeah, I agree. Where people believe whatever they want to believe. Uh, they don't care what you say is the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know this is not scientists saying, oh, you know, uh, this is the only truth, right? Or uh, this is what we believe uh, is the truth and you should believe us just because we say so, right? Yeah. No, science is a process that takes many, many years to reach a conclusion Yes. that is then vetted, tested, confirmed multiple times by many different scientists in many different countries around the globe, right? Mm-hmm. When scientists usually reach a conclusion it's vetted, that they're it fairly is certain yes. is the truth mm-hmm. or is our current understanding of the truth, yes. right? Uh, it, it, it's not something that they just come up with, uh, you know, sitting in a room with a ad hoc committee just discussing what we think should happen, right? Well, it's like in the movies where you just go into a lab, you mix, you know, three beakers worth of chemicals together. You write a fancy color. There you go. <laughs> you uh, write a fancy chart or series of equations up you on the sure chalkboard. You make sure you a lab coat, exactly. right? Exactly. Or, uh, or a tweed jacket uh-huh. with, uh, what, uh, uh, leather elbows and, and, and glasses. I still need one of those. <laughs> but... You know, it, it, it's it's misrepresentation of what maybe scientists actually do and the painstaking and sometimes very frustrating efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had more uh, uh, experiments go awry in the lab than experiments that have worked. Of course. Yeah. And I would say that uh, I would that's imagine that's almost science, true yeah. of every scientist, right? And no, what, what I find, for me, concerning is the cherry-picking of things. Right? Yes. Uh, you can you can say oh I I believe in climate change right Res- humans are responsible for uh, warming the planet and that has a detrimental and deleterious effect right uh, or I love science so much you know I've got I've got a cell phone I've got a computer you know blah 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 right mm-hmm. but uh, you know uh, these scientists are lying to me about vaccines or you could be a person the other way around you believe in vaccines you believe in Cell phones, technology, this and that, but oh, you know, they're they're lying to me about climate change, right? Yeah. Or you know, I've heard a bunch, you know, people. Oh, um, scientists have the cure to cancer; they just w- don't want to give it to us because oh yeah, because of the, the chemotherapy wanna, wanna make money budgets. Right? And yep. So, so what you're saying is that there are tens of thousands of scientists worldwide all coming time. together, hmm. all to lie to you about climate change. That sounds like the Illuminati right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or to lie to you about cancer. Mm-hmm. And then there isn't a single one of these scientists out there who knows the truth and is coming forward with it. You exactly. Know I mean? At it's this just point insane. in time. At this point in time that I'm pretty sure that news item would have broken by now. I just I guess I'm a I'm of the opinion that if you have somebody who's in the middle, right? Let's say somebody who used to believe that the earth was round or somebody who was a firm believer in vac- uh, vaccination. And for some reason or another, they end up getting quote unquote burned and they decide to look on the other side of the fence. Um, oh, there's this piece of data that says maybe anti-vaccination is the way to go for my kid. Or, okay, um, maybe the climate change data is a little bit flawed or suspect, at least in their minds. 
Um, I believe that we as scientists have a responsibility and even a greater duty to, we need to find a better way of communicating uh, our data and what our very well-informed opinions and facts are to those people who might be on the fence in terms of believing science or not, and even those people who are firmly on the other side of a given argument. Um, it, I, I think it's not going to help anybody's cause to alienate the other side and even to really speak to them in kind of civil discourse, right? Some things are very ludicrous, and I'm getting to the point personally on my end where the anti-vaccination thing, it's very hard to empathize and kind of discuss with somebody the horrible consequences of not vaccinating right. your child. There's just too much evidence there, especially because now we're seeing just how awful the side effects are. And, you know, down in Pittsburgh, it's, I mean, it really is starting to frustrate and break my heart. But there needs to be some way where scientists collectively as a whole will be able to debate if needed, talk to and discuss these different scientific ideas with people who may not agree with them. Um, yeah, I, I think part of the problem is either shutting down Getting highly defensive getting about highly one's defensive, position right. that doesn't help with any debate or, or argument. Or simply saying, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. Right? And I, I, I think recent evidence has shown that if you try to engage with some of these people and try to see things from their viewpoint and then get to, okay, what do you know, what do you not know, why do you know what you know, and let's get you to the right information sort of, not being dismissive, but being engaging mm -hmm. to get the information out there, you have a higher rate of success yeah. than if you were to just say, this is the right information, take it or leave it. Yeah. Uh, there was actually a study, and this is a cool study that we can use to kind of wrap up our discussion on the war on science, and that the use of that phrase, whether it's inflammatory to the point of not having any positive impacts for science, um, they... I believe they examined uh, about a thousand U.S. adults, and they wanted to look at the effects of the war on science phrase and kind of framing on the public's perception of the credibility of scientists. And the major results showed that when this, these scientific ideas or this war on science framing was viewed as aggressive, uh, this phrase, the war on science, prompted conservatives to report lower um, levels of agreement with the scientist credibility index compared to liberals. And what this basically indicated was that the war on science phrase and framing has the potential to, you know, further confound and polarize uh, scientific views. Again, we're right. kind of... Right. We're not bridging that gap. We're increasing the gap between two yep. different groups. Yep. So there is data out there. There are data out there that show um, there has to be a better way to discuss these things and to get these facts across. Because right now, the way that we're doing it, contentious um, arguing and whatnot, it's not helping things. Yeah, and I think we do need to get to a point in our uh, country where our major political parties, both 
believe in science and make it a strong component of the platform. Yes. And we're not there. No, we're no, not. We're not there. Uh, we have we have one party that believes more in science than the other, mm-hmm. uh, or cherry picking. I don't want to say believes more. I say I want to say cherry picking. That's I'm, a good phrase. I'm I'm sure the other side believes in in you know science just as much, mm-hmm. but does it does it fit their agenda? Their right? political narrative. Yes. Right. Um, I think that both parties are culpable and responsible for finding some way to bridge the gap, right. at least from the political avenue, and coming together to try to really shine a light on what are now public health concerns when it and comes to science disagreements. And, and we need to stop creating false equivalencies, right? Yep. Uh, both both as, a, as, as politicians and, and even as, a, as media, right, as the media. Uh, you know, sometimes you see, oh, you know, like someone will come on a debate show and uh, talk about climate change and how that is real, and they'll bring someone from the other side. Yeah. And that's just a huge false equivalency, right? Yeah. The, the, the equal side to that would be uh, 99 people in the studio saying, oh, climate change is real. One person saying it isn't. Yeah. That's an equal. Mm-hmm debate in terms of the numbers out there yeah. in terms of the science out there yes right? but yeah we create these false equivalencies for ratings for stories for yeah, clicks, yeah. right and uh then then it becomes uh, part of the uh, debate it becomes part of the story oh but they had uh, xyz on there and he said that or she said that uh, hey this doesn't work or you know it's insane it's just adding fuel to the fire and and i don't think it does anybody any good uh, whether you're on one side or the next yeah so, um, we good to wrap up? I think so. I think we've uh, alarmed our devoted and loyal audience enough. Uh, and, you know, we're happy to provide links. Oh, yeah, of course. To Credible Science. Mm-hmm. If you email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com, we're happy to respond to that. Yeah, and please, any constructive criticism or anything where if you believe in a particular side that maybe we didn't agree with, or that maybe we didn't shed light on. I mean, please, scientists will look at any data, and that's what scientists right. do. They evaluate and they yeah, assess change my mind. any change my data. Mind. That's yeah, it. Absolutely. Yep. And not change my mind. Change my mind based on, uh, I'm not saying evidence. I've decided. Exactly. Yep. Change my conclusion based on the evidence I currently have. Exactly. So. Uh, Speaking of the audience, we have a oh, listener email, yeah. do we not? Yeah. Do I read it? Do you sure. Read it? Go ahead. So Marie writes to thank us for the last podcast. And that was on the research symposium here at Teal College, right? And the email reads, thank you, Delbert. Alonzo was very excited to be included in the program. And Alonzo was one of the students we interviewed for our podcast. So thanks for writing in. We appreciate uh, hearing from uh, our listeners. And... um, well, you know, before we wrap up, or we will wrap up for the day, uh, uh, for the episode, uh, just keep in mind our next episode will um, take maybe a little bit longer than normal to appear. Uh, It'll be a, a, a bit of a ways off. eight weeks instead yeah. of our regular four weeks or so. No, but I think that um, with that time, you know, we'll have more ideas, more kind of ideas from our listeners and our listener emails. And definitely before the end of the summer, we'll have a few more new episodes yeah, for we'll everybody. Have, we'll have on but June, July or so. But, w- but with traveling and yeah. job transitions, we'll, we'll be taking a little bit of an extended of a break. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. 
Well, that's our show for today. You can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, just search for The Biobusters. You can use any podcast catcher to download our episodes. You can also listen to our episodes on thebiobusters.podbean.com. I'm Delbert Ebby Abdallah, and you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Delbert. And you can find uh, Christopher Fawner at Fawner916. The long doorman Twitter handle. Well, now that you have a summer break, I maybe was going to say, know, I think yeah, I yeah, might dust the cobwebs off that. You've got nothing to do. That handle, <laughs> and yeah, definitely before the new job, um, I'll become a little bit more Twitter active. I can promise you. Good. All right, well, thank you all for listening, and thanks to Ba Namani for the music. Thank you. Thank you.